So we are closing up our reframed series. I, I'll be doing a soft close this week. And Jesse, she's going to be doing a hard close next week. So stay tuned. But to recap, uh, the reframe series, we're going through some of the parables that Jesus told. And Jesus took parables, um, and he told stories about things that people thought they understood, things that were very familiar to them. And he completely uh, reframed them to give people a better understanding of what the kingdom of God was like. Um, there were topics that they thought that they knew really well, but he would shed light on them and they would realize that their knowledge and what they thought were true was actually a little incomplete. And our parable that we're going to talk about tonight is definitely one of those parables. So I'll start with a quick story. Has anybody ever been in a situation before? that was confusing at first, but then you got a couple pieces of the puzzle and then everything started to make sense. Anybody? That happened to anybody? Okay. Well, quick story. It's never happened to anybody. <laughs> so back in my freshman year, my floor was really close, Harbonate, if anybody in here is in Harbonate. Hey, William. So we were very, very close floor. And one day around um, October, one of my friends, Michael, asked if I wanted to go to the monuments with him at night because he hadn't seen the monuments yet. I'm like, oh, yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun. And then he started to get really weird. So that was a Monday, and we were going to go on a Friday. And he started to get pretty weird the rest of the week and making weird comments in text. So I was like, okay, this is a little weird. And then uh, we met in the common room around 7, and we are going to head to go get ice cream and then go to the monuments. And so we're walking out, and our friend Chloe comes. And Chloe's like, hey, what are y'all doing? And he's like, oh, we're going to go to the monuments. And she's like, this is great. I've been waiting for somebody to go to the monuments at night. Let me go grab my coat. <laughs> so she goes and grabs her coat, and we're walking to uh, two tea suites, all three of us, and then he's like, oh, I'll pay. And I'm like, why are you paying? This is weird. And so we start walking to the monument, and it eventually becomes very clear. Uh, Chloe leans over to me, and she's like, I think I just crashed your date right now, and I don't know what to do about that. And when she said that, it suddenly all made sense. All of these signs of him acting weird that this was supposed to be a date, and now there was three of us. Um, so it was very awkward at the time, and it all made sense when I realized it, like in hindsight, I really should have picked up on all of these signs, but until she said that, it didn't really make sense to me. Um, and that's kind of what our parable tonight is about. <laughs> so if you were one of Jesus' disciples, uh, there was a lot of things that Jesus did that were very, very confusing to them. and. Um, some things that also weren't quite meeting expectations. And then he tells them this parable that we're going to get to in a little bit. And when he tells them this parable, it puts some of the pieces together. It reframes what they previously thought about this topic, and everything starts to make much more sense. Um, and they get the missing pieces to, to build a new framework about a topic that is so crucial to our faith. And that topic is this, the kingdom of God. So it's kind of fitting, all the parables that we've been talking about this semester have had to do in some fashion or other about the kingdom of God. And this parable tonight is going to explicitly um, address that. And if you were to ask me, well, what did Jesus teach when he was on the world? 
we can point to a lot of scriptures that indicate that the, the thing that he focused the most on was teaching about the kingdom of God. So we see in the Gospel of Mark, he starts in um, Mark 1, 14, with Jesus going into Galilee, and he's proclaiming the good news of God, and he says, the time has come, the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe the good news. And then we see in Matthew 4, 17, um, Jesus, it starts with the ministry of Jesus saying, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And quick aside, uh, the book of Matthew was written for a Jewish audience, so they didn't uh, write the name of God down. And so you'll hear the parable that we read tonight it talks about the kingdom of heaven. Kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God, both the same thing, uh, just different audiences in the gospel. Um, and then we see in Luke 4.21, Jesus kicks off his ministry by going into a synagogue and reading a, a, a passage from the prophet Isaiah. And everybody who would have heard this passage would have known that um, Isaiah was talking about the coming Messiah. And he reads this passage and he says, um, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So he's saying that with me, the kingdom of God has arrived. With me, the kingdom of God has broken in to human history. And to understand what he means by that, we need to back up a little bit and understand what the people he was talking to, what his audience would have known and understood and thought that they knew about the kingdom of God. So the disciples, they would have heard this phrase over and over and over again because it was a phrase that the Jewish rabbis used repeatedly during the intertestamental period. So the period before the Old Testament, um, after the Old Testament, and before the New Testament, um, the rabbis used this phrase, the kingdom of God, over and over. And what we have to understand is there is a lot of hope that the average Jewish person had about what the kingdom of God meant and what would happen when the kingdom of God came. Um, and these rabbis, they spoke um, to the coming together of different prophetic hopes. So in the Old Testament, we see um, so much of the prophets spoke about this coming Messiah and, um, and what the day of the Lord would be like. So here is a not completely comprehensive list of what the people thought the day of the Lord or the kingdom of God would be like. So I think we have a slide for this too. Um, they thought, they said that it would be a day of salvation for the nations, and it would be a day of judgment for the wicked. And for them, that especially meant that it would be a day when the, Jew, uh, when the Roman government would be judged for the injustices that they committed. They thought that it would be an age of the Spirit, where the Spirit uh, would pour out over his people. He would transform their hearts from hearts of stone um, to a heart of flesh, and that his spirit would pour out over all of them and would anoint them for service. They thought that it would be a time of justice for those who were oppressed. They thought it would be a time when shalom would be um, restored, where there would be wholeness and flourishing and peace. And there's this beautiful picture in Isaiah chapter 11, where it has this poem, and it speaks of the symbolism for what this peace would be like. It says, that the lion would lay down with the lamb and the babies would play with the cobras and, and that there would be this supernatural peace. And all of this was seen as the day of the Lord. And all of this would happen when the Messiah came on the scene, when the anointed one came, and he would usher in this whole new kingdom. 
But here's the catch. They all assumed and thought that the kingdom of God uh, would be this great eruption from above, that it would be this climactic ending, and it was seen as this age to come. It would be the dawning of a completely new age where there was no more suffering, where there was no more injustice, where there was no more sin, and God's deliverance would be completely poured over them um, forever and ever. And so we see these two things. We see, I think I have the next slide. There we go. So basically, this is their perception of what it was going to be like. There was this age, and this age, the one that we live in, is characterized um, by, by wickedness, by suffering, by evil. Um, and they thought that the Messiah would come and that there would be this sharp discontinuity between this age and the age to come, that he would come and completely um, change the entire social order, that he would restore his kingdom forever, and that sin would be no more. Um, you guys tracking with me here? We're going to get, in this message, it's going to be less of a traditional sermon and more uh, getting a little deep into some theology weeds, so just heads up on that. So this is what um, the Jewish, the average Jewish person would have believed. This is what his disciples would have believed. And we see that after all of the prophets of the Old Testament, there is a 400-year period of silence where there is not a single prophet to the nation of Israel. And then John the Baptist comes onto the scene. He shows up and he says, repent and prepare for the kingdom of God is near. And so they are expecting this great eruption to come on the scene at any moment. And there's this sense of excitement in the air that the kingdom of God is coming and it's going to completely change everything. And so people are very excited about what is about to happen. And then Jesus arrives onto the scene and he starts to, um, to proclaim that the kingdom of God is here and it has arrived in him and that the age to come has broken into to now, has broken into human history, has broken into the present. And then to prove this, he began to heal and restore those who, who were sick. He began to cast out demons um, from those who had been oppressed and held captive. And he began to show many proofs and many evidence that the kingdom of God was finally here and now. And so the kingdom of God was here, and many of the hopes that the people had were being fulfilled, but not quite in the way that people had pictured it. It wasn't how they thought. The immoral Rome was still in control. They still ruled. And it didn't seem like they had stepped into this brand new age in the way that they thought that they would. And this was probably creating some confusion amongst the disciples. So that is where we are in the parable tonight. This is we're at the time that Jesus is speaking in. This is the people who Jesus is speaking to. And I wanted to give us all of that context so that when we hear the parable tonight, we can have a better understanding of what it means. So Carl is going to come up and read the passage. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew 13. If not, it'll be up on the screen. And I think this is one of the most important parables we can end with because it's going to really show us... Um, the status of our world and this world that we live in as illustrated by wheat and weeds. So Carl's going to come up and read the passage. So verse 24, Jesus told them another parable. 
The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came and said to him, Sir, didn't you sow good seeds in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in, tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Verse 36. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came, and, his, his disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of evil, are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out his kingdom, everything that caused sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and a gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Nice work, Carl. <laughs> so this parable uh, starts like many of them do, with the kingdom of heaven is like. So the point of this parable is for Jesus to straighten out and reframe what the kingdom of heaven is really like. And what he does is he shares two things. He shares this idea that the kingdom of heaven is both now and not yet. And this, this theological term um, that theologians call uh, the now and not yet of the kingdom of God. And so first we see that there is this present dimension to the kingdom of God. That Jesus, he talks about the wheat. And in this application, he, he explains that the wheat are the sons and the daughters of the kingdom of God. But then, and this next part would have been super revolutionary for those who were hearing it. He talks about this, that there's this present dimension of the kingdom of God. But then he says, as the kingdom is growing, as the wheat is growing, that there will also be weeds. There will be evil. And his disciples are probably confused because while he's talking about the kingdom of God being here, he's saying that there is another kingdom present. In other words, Jesus, he broke in and he ushered in this kingdom of God, but that didn't mean that he was going to completely uproot the current age. And the age to come, it broke through, it's here and now, but it's also not yet. So here's what that means, that when Jesus came, he brought salvation. He poured out God's spirit. And for the time that we live in now, there are two ages, and they're growing together side by side. The wheat and the weeds are growing together side by side. And so we see that the initiation of the kingdom of God was incredibly significant and consequential, but it wasn't the eruption on the scene that the Jewish people had been expecting. And so we see what Jesus teaches us, what theologians call the now and not yet of the kingdom. And I have a chart um, that I will do my best to explain right there. Um, so let's see. Jesus is saying 
that upon his arrival, so we have the cross there, first coming of Christ, upon his arrival, um, the age um, to come has broken into human history. And the ministry and the death and the burial and resurrection of Jesus has ushered in this new age. But for now, um, this good and evil, they grow together side by side. So we can go to the next slide, just zooms in um, a little bit. So we have this age, which goes across the bottom. It's the age that we live in now. And we see that there is an age to come, which we are also living in now. And we see also in this parable that there's not just a present component to this kingdom, but there is this future component as well. We see um, Jesus says that there will be a time when there will be a harvest, and the things that are set into motion will be brought to completion, and that what was once initiated with Jesus' first coming will be, brought to, will be fully consummated. And it means that we see the, the second coming of Christ, and then there's only one more age. It's the age to come, so that there will be a time when the age to come will be the only age there is, when the kingdom of God will be the only kingdom that exists. So Jesus, he reframes this parable in a way that helps us to understand our world today. And why is that important for us? Because we can see uh, with our current experience at Georgetown that, uh, that God is doing powerful things. We see people who are experiencing salvation, people who are experiencing healing. We see uh, the people in this room drawing closer to Jesus, experiencing the fullness of what it means to follow Jesus and to follow him in community. We see the way that God is working in the world through each of us, and we see a bit of this age to come right now. But also alongside of that, we experience a different reality. We experience a reality where there is sexual assault, harassment, racism, Every time we turn on the news, it seems that another powerful person has fallen to sin. See, almost every month this semester, there's been at least one mass shooting in the country. We see around the world, there are terrorist attacks. We see pictures of complete destruction. In some places, we see uh, photos of refugees dying at sea. And we see here that the curtain has been too back, pulled back, and there are two stories that are going on side by side. There's a story of this age to come and what God is doing now. But then there is a story of the evil and the sin that is still in the world and that is existing side by side along God's kingdom. So this is what's going on in the world. We see that there are these two ages that are overlapping with each other. They're existing together. But we know that when Jesus came, when the kingdom of God broke into human history, that we could experience salvation. We know that he makes people new, that he restores relationships, that he brings peace and reconciliation, and he empowers people by his spirit to do his work. And that's the story. And then we can look at this parable, and it can help us make sense of all of these dichotomies that we see in our world all of the existence, how do, how do good and evil exist and grow together. This parable, it helps bring clarity to that, and it helps us, um, helps give clarity to our lives and why the way that we live matters. 
So another theological term um, that, that is used is that we are in-betweeners. We are people who are living between the two um, moments of God's kingdom, between his first coming and between his second coming. And this means that there are two realities that we live in. The first is that we get the joy of living and experiencing the kingdom of God now and experiencing the things that Jesus is doing. But it also means that we experience suffering and trials and persecution as Christians because there is also another kingdom that is at work in the world. And that kingdom is hostile to the kingdom of God. And so if we don't have room for that in our theology, then it's easy to become disillusioned when we face these things. And I think one quick observation, that there are two mistakes that people can make with this idea that the kingdom is both now and not yet. The first is that uh, they could be kingdom now only people, that the kingdom is now and the kingdom is happening. And, and when that's your mentality, then it's easy to become disillusioned when you, when you pray for people to be healed and they're not healed. Or when you pray and hope that your life will turn out a certain way and then it doesn't. When you follow Jesus but bad things still happen to you. And then there's the other camp of people thinking that the kingdom of God is only not yet. That things on this earth are just going to be bad and terrible and awful and we will live here but one day things will be perfect and we'll never experience that suffering anymore. But to live only in that place um, negates what God is doing now and the work that he's inviting us to participate in. So this means, this idea that the kingdom of God is existing both now and not yet, it means that our experience as Christians can often be marked by both tension and ambiguity. That our current experience in the Christian life is characterized by tension and ambiguity. So let's talk about an example of this. I think a question maybe a lot of you guys have had is what do we do with the, the topic of praying for healing? How do we, how do we pray for healing? And we see that we pray the Lord's Prayer at the end of every service. And Jesus is saying, here's how you pray. Let me teach you how to pray. And say, pray that my kingdom will come. And so, on the one hand, we know that one of the ways that Jesus exhibited that the kingdom of God is here and now is that he healed people. So we know that Jesus can heal people. And we know that he has the resources and that we can pray and that we can ask him to heal people. But we also know that the kingdom of God is not yet. And there's that reality that every single one of us in here will eventually die. And many of the people that we pray for to be healed will not be healed. And so what do we do with that? What do we do with that tension? We pray that God's kingdom would come now in our lives, but we also live in a reality where that kingdom is not yet. How do we have room in our theology for that? That idea that the totality of our redemption will never be realized fully on this side of eternity. And that God has never promised us that things would work out according to our best plans. That's the tension and that's the, even the frustration that we can live in sometimes. That we are reminded that we are not home yet, but that someday we will be home. And I know that this is a lot of theology tonight and a lot of different terms. 
But it's so critical that we understand this because it illustrates how we live in this world where there's two separate stories going on, where we get to participate in the kingdom now, even when we can't fully realize it on this side of eternity. And throughout my last year of grad school last year, I was writing um, my thesis, and I was looking a lot into this topic of that, this idea that the kingdom of God is both now and not yet. And I think it's easy to get a little sad about that and a little frustrated about it. And it wasn't till, until I was prepping for this message that I had this thought of what a beautiful and gracious plan this is. That God, because um, there's two things that are happening in this in between. If we go back a few weeks or last month when we talked about how the kingdom of God uh, was like a wedding banquet, we have this picture that God is inviting us all into the party. We have this in-between time where we have this opportunity to invite other people into the party. Because we know that when the kingdom of God is fully here and fully realized, when the consummation of the kingdom comes, we know that that means our complete redemption and our complete salvation. But on the other side of that coin, it means the judgment of those who are not in the kingdom. And so I think that when I realized this, my, my perceptions began to switch between one of tension and frustration to one of marveling at the mercy of God, that he would be patient in bringing about his kingdom so that all would have an opportunity to enter in. So I think I will go to questions. In the all right, I just have one question. So, if there will be evil in the kingdom of God as long as we are in it, then how can we motivate ourselves to keep addressing it and fighting for justice in the world? So if, if there, we know that there will be evil in the world, how do we motivate ourselves to keep fighting even when we won't see the complete end of it? Oh, and we just got another question too, so we can do that afterwards. Looking forward to it. <laughs> You're feeling crazy. <laughs> um, I think that, that that's one of the tensions that we live in as well. We see so many, so much evil in this world. And I think we, we know that we're called to stand against it. But also while knowing that it'll never fully be eradicated on this side of eternity. I think my friend um, Pete Bula, he has this image that he told me once. And hopefully it makes sense as I, I retell it to you. But he said um, that when he thinks about the kingdom of God, hopefully this answers the question too, um, that he thinks of it, of the time that we live in now, of being um, in this sort of like, what's it called, like lobby, all getting ready to go into this great party. And it's like the appetizer time, so we're all here, we're all having a great time, um, we're all enjoying uh, the appetizers together in anticipation of entering into this party. And he says, but the thing is that when the big doors open and we all can go in and celebrate and party, the glass doors to the lobby close and nobody else can enter in. And I think that that's a really good picture of what this time is like, that we get to experience a taste of the kingdom of God, but we know that when it is fully here, that there will also be judgment. And so I think our role 
as Christians is to bring as many people, to invite as many people into the party as we can. And so part of seeing this evil is recognizing that our God is a a redemptive God and that when people do acts of evil, we know that they are not beyond redemption and that Christ can transform lives. And so by sharing that with them, we can hopefully, and with the people all around us, we can hopefully bring more people So, are you okay with another question? Okay, cool. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, this will be the last question. Um, in practice, how do we practically build up the patience necessary for waiting for the not yet? In practice, how do we build up the patience necessary while waiting for the not yet? I was thinking this week. Um, how, so how much patience Jesus exhibits and, and the Father by waiting for the not yet? Because we know that the evil in this world and the suffering in this world, we know that that causes him pain. Um, and yet we, we live in this time, and he's merciful in this time to give everybody an opportunity, um, as many people as can, to enter in. And so I think that looking to Jesus in this gives us a model for how we develop that same patience too. Because I think the same, like Jesus, the, the same suffering that we may feel and the same sadness we may feel by seeing all of these things, we know I think that Jesus feels deeper and more. And so I think by encouraging one another and by living this out and living in this in-between time in community is one of the ways that we do that and that's one of the things Paul says in so many of his letters is the importance of us encouraging one another and praying for one another and spurring one another on and I think that that's how we cultivate patience in times like this so those are great questions I have um, one more question that I want to close with too it's a simple idea um, of how, are, how do we enter into the kingdom of um, and that can come up for, for worship if, if you would like to. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's, an easy, it's an easy answer, hard to do. Um, but Jesus says, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. And I think an interesting story that illustrates that is um, at the end of World War II, uh, General Douglas MacArthur, he was a representative for the United States, and he was meeting with... Um, a highly decorated Japanese admiral who was the representative for um, the Japanese Imperial Army and um, or the Imperial Forces. And the two met on the battleship Missouri in this ceremony that was going to sim- signal and symbolize the end of one of the bloodiest wars in modern history. And as the ceremony came to the actual moment of surrender, uh, the Japanese uh, admiral he extended his hand in um, a familial act of friendship and uh, companionship to shake his hand. But uh, General MacArthur kept his hand at his side. And he said, sir, give me your sword, please. And only after the defeated admiral handed over his sword did he shake his hand. So why did he ask for his sword first? Because the formal disarming of the enemy 
was what signaled the end of the war. So until the weapon was handed over, the hostilities had not formally ceased. And I think that that's a beautiful picture of what repentance looks like for us. Looks like handing over our sword. And so perhaps you're here tonight and you need to to hand over your sword of hostility. Maybe you're fighting for your own kingdom. Maybe you need to hand over your sword of pride or thinking that you can save yourself and Jesus has already done that for you. And Jesus is inviting us tonight to step in to the doors um, in anticipation of the party and to enter into his kingdom. I think for the rest of us in here, I hope that this message tonight will help us to understand the world that we live in and be people that would constantly be praying and develop this endurance to see the kingdom of God come in our lives, to come in the lives of our friends, to come in the lives of our classmates, and that we would understand and we would embrace the tension that comes between living in these two times. That we'd be a community where we could experience the kingdom of God now in anticipation for what the kingdom of God will be one day. And as Jesus said, he says, Matthew 6.33, says, May you seek first the kingdom of God. May we be a community together that seeks the kingdom of God first. So we're going to transition into a time of worship. And like we always say, during worship, you can sit, you can stand, you can reflect on the message. But let's all try to create some margin in our lives and the midst of all of the busyness to connect with God. So I'm going to say a quick prayer and then we can go into worship. Gracious God, we thank you, Lord, that you are so kind and merciful to us. We thank you, Lord, that we can experience the wonders and the joys of your kingdom now on this earth. We thank you, Lord, that you are working. We thank you, Lord, that we get to see the fruits of your spirit in our lives, God. And I pray, Lord, that as we move forward, that we would continue to pray that the kingdom would come, that we would continue to call out injustices and evil when we see it, that we would continue to be a light in the darkness until you usher in the age to come, God. We just lift up all of these things in your name.